Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 John 29 and can be found on page 886 in your pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to take the one in front of you home with you. The next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him, toward him, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. It's good to see each of you this morning, and thanks for coming to celebrate with us. And we had a, a kid-sized scripture reading there of just one verse, so um, I've probably even memorized that this morning. My name is Bill Gorman. And uh, I'm the campus pastor here, and it's good to see each one of you um, on this Christmas Eve Sunday morning. And uh, as we begin our time of looking into the scriptures and actually unpacking a little bit of that, that verse that was read for us, I want to pray, and then we'll take a look at this uh, story. So Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you have given us such a warm and beautiful place to come this morning and celebrate the good news of Jesus coming to earth, the forever King. Uh, who's unlike any other king. So we pray this morning that we would adore him and that you would be with us now as we reflect on who he is uh, for the world and for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, it's, uh, it's Christmas Eve, as you know, and, and all around us, all through this season, we've uh, seen lots of nativity sets, no doubt. We have one up here with us this morning. Uh, and, and let's be honest, I mean, this is a really nice nativity scene, but not all uh, nativity scenes are, are great. They're just not. Um, there's just a, a few that you can buy on Amazon. There's the, there's the bear nativity that you can, you can buy, so you can get one of the bears doing the nativity thing. The one that's most disturbing is the bear holding the lamb. I'm afraid he's maybe about to eat the lamb. I don't know. Uh, you have the, the cat nativity for the, the cat lovers out there. We have three cats, but you can get the cat nativity. Um, also, you've got uh, the moose nativity kind of sticking in that kind of bear theme. Um, some of these stretch the bounds of the incarnational a little bit. Um, yeah, uh, you got the little people nativity, those little, uh, oh, this is the rubber duck nativity, I guess. You got the, the duck nativity, and also I have a little, little people nativity. So a lot of variety on the nativity scene, uh, scene these days. Uh, but you, I mean, I think my favorite, and, and by favorite I mean sort of the, the best of the worst, is got to be the, the hipster nativity. So I don't know if, you, I don't know if you've seen this uh, floating around uh, on the internet. This is a real thing you can buy. Uh, you got Mary and Joseph there taking a selfie with baby Jesus and the, uh, the hipster wise men delivering uh, the, the, the gifts. Amazon, of course, uh, packages on their segues. Uh, you've got your 100% organic cow. Uh, eating gluten-free feed there, and uh, you've got a shepherd with his sheep there in the, the wool sweater, uh, and he's, I think he's Snapchatting the, the, whole, the whole scene um, there together. So you've got that, and, and what I love is that actually when you order this, it, the website even promises that this has been hand-painted uh, by a real hipster. So uh, when, you, when you go to make your order there, um, there, there you go. So you know, when we think about these nativity scenes, um, we look into them and we want to ask the question, what do we see when we look into the nativity? And, and maybe not what do we see when we look into this nativity. I mean, there's certainly some things to see there. But, but what do we see when we look into, into the nativity, into the moment of, of Jesus' birth, um, when we tell the story of Christmas? 
You know, and sometimes as we tell the story of Christmas, we focus on uh, Mary and Joseph and, you know, what, what they might have been thinking, um, Joseph in the dream or Mary when the angel came on that night. Uh, you know, other times we focus on uh, a different character in the scene. We might think, well, what was it like for, for the wise men as they, as they came? And sometimes we tell the story through the, the lens of, of the wise men and their gifts. Or the shepherds. The shepherds bringing their flocks and hearing the good news and coming to see. Sometimes we tell the story from, from their perspective, the shepherds' perspective. But there's one sort of supporting cast member in the nativity um, scene that we don't, uh, we don't often think about, but has a really powerful imagery, imagery that John the Baptist picks up here on, in John chapter 1. And that is the imagery of the Lamb. The imagery of the lamb. What do you see when you look into the nativity? Well, when John the Baptist, who is actually Jesus' cousin, he was born just a few months before Jesus, when Jesus and John are both grown as adults, when John sees Jesus for the first time in John chapter 1, in the book of John, when John the Baptist sees Jesus and introduces Jesus to the world as an adult, He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You know, of all the things that John could have said in that moment, of all the things that that he could have pointed out about Jesus, he uses the image, the title of a lamb. And the theme of the lamb, it runs all the way through the Bible, from the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, all the way through to the end of the story of the Bible, to Revelation, the final book, the theme of the lamb. And while it's likely that, that John didn't understand all the depth of the meaning when he said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, as readers of the New Testament, as readers of the Bible who, who know how the whole unstory folds, The imagery of the lamb is unmistakable. The meaning is clear. That the baby who was born in the manger is the lamb who will die on the cross. That the baby who was born in the manger is the lamb who will one day die on the cross. When you look in the manger, what do you see? Do you see death? Do you see a cross? Do you behold the Lamb? Well, in John chapter 1 so far, we've seen that Jesus is the true Word of God. He was with God in the beginning. He was God. He made everything. John also showed us that Jesus is the light of the world who overcomes the darkness. He showed us that Jesus, the eternal Word of God, God Himself, true light of true life, became flesh and dwelt among us. And here in John chapter 1, verse 29, he shows us that the Word who was made flesh is the Lamb who will die on the cross. When you look in the manger, what do you see? When you behold the Lamb, what do you see? And there are at least three things that we need to see this morning. Uh, The first is, this is the question here, do we see our sin You see, John the Baptist declares that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, to behold the Lamb, to behold the Lamb of God is to see the depth of humanity's problem, 
sin. As human beings, we, we long for the world to be a place of goodness, of light, of life and peace, and yet there's something that is constantly ruining that. That as much as we long those things, as much as we want those things, that we find ourselves constantly undoing them. And the Bible names this thing and it calls it sin. And what we need is a lamb to take it away. But in order to understand why we need a lamb, we have to understand the effects of sin. So first, sin creates a debt. So, so kids, imagine on Christmas morning, tomorrow morning, you're opening your presents. Maybe you get that Lego set that you've been longing for, and you, and you spend the whole morning building that Lego set, putting it together, and you're just about to get ready to finally play with it and, and act out the scene, and you're so excited, but then your little brother or sister gets mad at you. And they come and they just knock it over and wreck the whole thing. Awful, right? And, and, and this moment, it's so sad because it destroys what you've worked so hard for. It, it's taken away all the time and the effort and energy and hard work that you put into it. There's, there's now this kind of little debt that's been created. Sin creates debts between us. It also creates a debt with God that we were created to love and God and live for him instead of for ourselves. And when we fail to live for God, instead we live selfishly. There's a debt. But sin doesn't just create a debt between us. It also sort of makes the whole world around us sort of dirty in a way. It pollutes the environment of the world. There's anger and hurt and pain and distrust if there's people fighting in your home, if you're fighting with a brother or sister, if parents are fighting or neighbors are fighting, you feel that sense of unease and tension. You know, when your Lego creation is destroyed, everyone in the home feels that sadness and anger. But it's not just that other people ruin our Lego creations, it's that we also ruin theirs. We destroy other people's. Do you sense that? Do you see your own sin? Or are you always blaming other people for your circumstances? Are you blaming other people for your bad temper, your bad decisions? Are you shifting the blame? Or have you owned that deep inside of you that there is a problem? There's something dark, something bent, not quite right. Do you see the depth of the problem? Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. It's like, who invited Scrooge to preach this morning? See the depth of your sin and the problem? And if all we saw when we looked at the Lamb, if all we saw when we looked at the Lamb was the depth of our sin, that would be a pretty Scroogey message. But there is more. There is more we must see when we look at the Lamb. When we behold the Lamb, do we also see the love of God, the height of God's love for us. Do you see his love in the Lamb? A love that doesn't condemn the world, but takes away the sins of the world. You see, that is why the Lamb came, to take away the sins of the world. And why is this picture of the Lamb such a powerful symbol of that? Well, because the Lamb would give his life. In the Old Testament, the, the Jewish people sacrificed lambs regularly. 
Now that seems really odd to us, I know, but it was a powerful symbol both of the debt being paid and of the cleaning away of the yuck and the pollution that sin brought into the world. You see, in the Old Testament, the idea was that the person's sin was transferred to the lamb, and when the lamb was sacrificed, the debt was paid. And also, some of that lamb's blood was sprinkled in the temple. The blood stood for the life of the animal. And so actually, even though we think about that would be getting it dirty, the picture is that it's actually cleaning, that the life is pushing away the death. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, there is a promise, a promise that one day there would be a person who would come and be led like a lamb to the slaughter. The lamb would be pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, punished for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. Isaiah says, we all like sheep have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. But why does God do this? Why does he send Jesus, the lamb, to die, to take away the sin of the world? Why? Why does he do this at such incredible cost to himself? Well, for his glory? Absolutely. Uh, you could say, well, for, for, his, for his praise? Sure. For the display of his wisdom? Yes. All of those are true biblical reasons that God sent his son, the lamb, But there is more than that. John makes it clear that his motivation springs from God's love for us, for his love for you. Uh, John 3.16, perhaps the most famous verse in all of the Bible, just two chapters after the verse we've read this morning, says this, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God doesn't just send his lamb. He doesn't just come as lamb to right some abstract moral wrong in the universe. He comes because he loves you. He loves you so much that he was willing to sacrifice himself for you. Have you felt his love? Do you really believe that God loves you. I know for me, if I'm honest, it's not, it's much easier for me to feel that I'm a sinner, that I'm, I'm broken, that I'm, I see that all the time. That's, that's not hard for me to get to. It's much easier for me that I deserve judgment than that God really loves me. And there's a reason for that. The enemy, the Satan, the accuser, this is the lie from the very, very beginning that God doesn't love you. That's the lie he's planted in every single one of our hearts. But don't believe the lie. It is a lie literally from the pit of hell. Do not believe it. God loves you. He gave himself for you. And you might say, but, but Bill, God, you, you don't know my story. God couldn't love me. I, I'm too bad. I'm too, you don't know what's happened to me. You don't know what I've done to other people. I'm too bad for God to love. But don't you see? 
almost the pride and the arrogance in that statement. Because you've made your life, what you've done, bigger than the possibility of what God can do. There are no bounds, no limits to His love. No one is out of reach of His love. No one is too bad. Do you see His love? When you look in the nativity, when you look in the manger, do you see the Lamb and do you see His love? Your life will never be transformed until you do. When you look in the manger, when you behold the Lamb, do you see your sin? Do you see His love? And also, you have to see His victory. Do you see His victory? Now, a victorious lamb, a conquering lamb. When, I, you know, when I'm at the petting zoo at Deanna Rose, uh, and I'm petting the lambs there, I mean, victorious, conquering, triumphant aren't usually the adjectives that are coming to mind. I mean, if you've just saw this sitting there, you're a victorious. This is, it doesn't, those aren't the, the ideas that come to our mind when we think about a lamb. But that's because the victory of the lamb is totally different. It's an upside down sort of victory, but it's just the sort of victory that moves us the most. You see, two of my all-time favorite stories, perhaps arguably, I mean, I would argue this, two of the, the greatest stories to be written in the last hundred years are the Lord of the Rings and the Harry Potter stories. Amazing stories. And and what do these stories have in common? Well, both Frodo and Harry Potter, which I didn't know until I tried to find an image. Apparently, there's some, like, thing that these two actors actually look a lot alike. Um, I didn't know that was a thing, but there's, like, all kinds of images. They look just alike. Um, It's not my notes. I don't know why I'm telling you that. Um, But Harry Potter and Frodo, what do they have in common? From the very beginning of their stories... Their destiny is set out. What do they have in common? That they whole story, that their whole lives lead up to this moment of incredible self-sacrifice. Their victory comes through sacrificing, through giving themselves. And when we turn to the end of the biblical story of the Lamb in the book of Revelation, we find the same thing. Because the Lamb is mentioned more times in the New Testament in the book of Revelation than anywhere else in the whole Bible. The title Lamb for Jesus occurs 30 times in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And it was John, the same author who wrote the book that we've been looking at this Advent, who wrote the book of Revelation. In Revelation 5, John describes the scene of a conquering lion who's finally won the victory over evil and death and sin and the world. And it's kind of the scene of everyone's waiting for this king to come in and he's the lion of Judah. It's this dramatic moment. And everyone can't wait to see him come in. But when they see him, what does he look like? John tells us he looks like a lamb who was slain. The conquering king wins his victory through self-sacrifice by giving himself up to death. 
and therefore is worried that he receive all glory and honor and praise. This is the scene. John says, Then I looked and I heard the th- around the throne the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands of voice, saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. It's an incredible paradox a conquering lamb, a victorious lamb. Do you see his victory? His victory over death, his victory over evil, his victory over darkness. Because remember in John chapter 1 earlier, John declared the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And in Revelation chapter 21, some of the very final verses of the Bible, what do we find? We find that the darkness has indeed been overcome. This is what we read in verse 22. And I saw, John said, no temple in that city, because its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. The Lamb has overcome the darkness. So when you look in the manger this Christmas, what do you see? Do you see your sin? Do you see His love? And do you see His victory? This Christmas, when you look in the nativity, when you look in the manger, Will you say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you that you are indeed the conquering Lamb who loves us and who takes away our sin. We now celebrate this good news and declare the praise and glory to Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.